as you're having a seat, if you'll grab a copy of the scriptures and open up to Philippians chapter one, we're continuing in our series we're calling A Gospel Culture, where we're taking a look at what does it mean to have a Christ-centered gospel culture. And that's really uh, our desire as a gathering, as a church family, is that the gospel would inform what we do, how we do it, why we do it, how we interact with one another, how we view ourselves in light of who God is and how he's made us and what he's called us to do, and that it would permeate all aspects of our life and trickle out into us as a church culture, and that ultimately when we leave these doors as the church, the gospel culture wouldn't just stop here on a Sunday morning, but it would go forth into the community and people as a result of bumping into God's people who have a gospel culture at their core begin to taste and see and know that the Lord is good because they start bumping into us as God's people. And so it's a beautiful calling. And as we've gone through the book of Philippians, we're finishing chapter one this morning. And these are some powerful and difficult verses as we conclude uh, chapter one in Philippians. So I'm gonna read verses one or verses 27 through 30, and then we'll unpack it together this morning. Paul's writing, remember, in prison. He's sitting in a Roman prison. He doesn't know whether he's gonna live or die. His life is at stake, but he's writing to this church whom he loves, whom he helped plant many years ago, and he's writing back to them as a church who has now been established and are meeting together. They love the Lord, and he's encouraging them to continue on in the faith um, that they have in Christ. And he writes this as he concludes chapter one. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is God's word. Now you notice this verse right here. I wanna just inter- introduce what the apostle Paul is talking about by just this thought. It says, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So that's sort of a negative way of saying it. He's saying like, do not be frightened. The positive way of saying that or the, the positive way of, of describing what he's getting at here is to take courage. Take courage, stand up, have courage in the face of these things that are coming against you. Don't be frightened or take courage. And so as I read this, this raised so many questions for me. There's so much in here. You're like, wow, how do we do this well? What does it mean to have gospel courage? What does it mean to not be frightened by the opponents of the gospel? There are many. There are many that Paul has already described as we've gone through in chapter one. And there's many that you and I face today in our culture, opponents of the gospel, detractors of the gospel, false teaching. C.S. Lewis defines courage this way, and I find it beautiful. He says, courage is not one of the virtues 
But courage is the center of every virtue at its testing point. Let me read that again. Courage is not just one of the virtues. Courage is the center of every virtue at its testing point. And he goes on later as he's unpacking this thought, and he says, Pilate was merciful until it became risky, until the mobs yelled, crucify him. Pilate was merciful until it became too risky. And so what we know here, what we begin to see here in Philippians as Paul is drawing out all of these beautiful things as as he's talking, as he's encouraging this church in Philippi, as he is himself in prison suffering for the gospel and seeing the gospel advance even while he's in prison, he's calling every Christian, he's saying every one of us is called to do something that is going to be courageous for the Lord, that's gonna be difficult, that we're gonna have to stand and not be frightened of the opposition that's coming at us. Every one of us as a believer is going to face that, is going to have that in our lives. We're called to do something difficult for him, wherever you are, wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, and it's going to take courage. It's gonna take a measure of courage that in and of ourselves, outside of Christ providing it for us and having this gospel courage, we cannot do it on our own. So maybe for you in this room, your call is adoption or foster care. That's gonna take courage. It's gonna take a lot of courage. Maybe for you, it's to serve children or students in our community who need to hear the gospel that are running headlong the other way, and you feel called to bring the gospel to bear to students far from him in one of the many ministries and parachurch organizations that we have, and I know many of you serve in them here during the week, and that's going to take courage because there's a lot coming against you. There's a lot coming against them. Maybe your call is to serve survivors of abuse or neglect through great organizations like Mercy House or the Pregnancy Assistance Center to to open up your arms wide for those that are marginalized and neglected, and you're going to stand in the gap, and it's going to take courage to do that. And it's going to take time, and it's going to take resources, and people won't understand why you're spending the time you are in those ways, and you get the chance to give a hope for the the hope you have in Christ, and it's going to take courage. Maybe uh, you feel called to serve the Lord uh, overseas, to bring the good news of the gospel, the life-changing, life-saving good news of the gospel of the risen Lord Jesus Christ to people far away and that don't know it and don't even have access to a written form of the gospel like our friends Jill and BJ, who we pray for often and remember in our prayers, and Papua New Guinea, who are translating the good news of the gospel to a people in the bush. That takes courage. Maybe his call for you is to stay at home, day in and day out, changing diapers for the glory of God, for the good of these little children so that you can bring them up and teach and train them the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those long days will take great courage. Maybe it's going to work every day in a job you hate. 
why am I doing this job? I don't feel like I'm making any impact, but you have a unique opportunity as God has called you into a place, even in your vocational work, to be a light for the gospel, and he's equipped you and gifted you with unique abilities to be a missionary in the places of work that you find yourself, even when you find it mundane or boring, to shine forth the light of the gospel. And it's gonna take courage to stand for him in those water cooler moments, or in those moments where uh, you can cut a corner or you can do things that is kind of in a gray area, but you get to stand with integrity in the light of the gospel and shine forth what it means to be a person filled with Christ in your everyday. Whatever his call upon you, church, right now, where you are, it's not always going to be easy. It's not meant to be. It's gonna take courage, and as we read through Philippians, as you read through the New Testament, you get that sense all over the place. And in our life together, even as a church community, if we're going to have this gospel culture that permeates the goodness of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, both here and outside of these walls, because we long to see disciples made because Jesus lives, if we're gonna be more than just a club, if we're gonna be more than just a cool group of people that we like to hang out with, if we're going to uh, move beyond those small things and go after the main things of what Christ would have for us as a church community, it's gonna take courage because these days we're living in are crazy. The things coming against us are, are, are great. We live in a world that, I don't know if you can sense it or you feel it, but as I've been thinking about this cultural moment that we're in, we live in a world that's just steeped in anger. There's so many people angry about so many things. We live in a world of alienation. If you're not angry about the things I'm angry about, then you just go over there in a closet and shut the door because your opinions don't matter. We live in a culture of division. We divide over everything over every little thing, and every little echo chamber has its own division points and its own things they're angry about, and as a result, it pushes us toward isolation. It pushes us toward isolation. There's a book that was written years ago. It's not prophetic, but it's been talked about a lot. It's called Bowling Alone, um, and it talks about I'm, many of you know the author. He's escaped me right now. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but it just popped in my head, but it's talking about the loss of the, the community bowling league. We used to connect in community and go bowling together. Now bowling alleys, it sounds silly, but bowling alleys are still full, but everyone's bowling alone. And we Twitter about it. Are we Instagram that we've gone bowling? But we're not doing it together, shoulder to shoulder with each other because we feel isolated and we feel alone and we feel fractured. That's the moment that we're living in. But the Lord in his sovereign mercy, church, has placed us together. Like, look around. The bowling alone analogy can also trickle into the church, going to church alone. I'm surrounded by people, but I feel alone. Church, look around. Brothers and sisters in Christ are here. We're meant to lock arms together. The passage we just read, standing side by side for the faith of the gospel, striving together to see God move in our midst even against opposition, that we have this confidence in God that he's with us, and he's not just with us individually, but he's with us collectively together. This is hard. All of this is hard for me. The, the, all the things that creep in that makes us want to isolate and makes us, makes us want to wall up, I struggle with those too. And if you're in here and you, and you can feel that, 
it's, it's, a, it's difficult to overcome, but I want to encourage us as the body to, to look around and lean in and strive together. Have a conversation. Get to know someone. And we can start doing this together because the Lord in his mercy does not want us to be a people that are marked by anger and alienation and divisiveness. He wants us to be marked with a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose in the gospel, and a sense of striving together to shine forth the good news and the light of God to those around us and to each other. Amen? And it takes courage. Um, our problem today in America is not a lack of resources or talent or creativity. Our great problem is a lack of God. And as our nation year by year loses its sense of who God is and who God is for us, we then stop elevating who he is and his greatness and we begin to elevate ourselves. And we begin to elevate uh, our own increasing abilities and it births arrogance and self-righteousness and this demanding posture from other people. And then in fact, rather than feeling sort of guilty about that or like convicted, we actually build echo chambers that we feel virtuous about that. Oh, here's a whole other group of people that feels the same way and I'm gonna bring that to bear on this other group of people. It, it forms more dividing walls. And the pressure to not follow the way of Jesus, but to cave to all these pressures around us is great. It's great. And there's a lot of ways to cave, aren't there? I could stand up here for an hour and just list all the ways that we could cave to all the different pressures on the right or even on the left, right? We can cave to uh, the left's idea of sexual ethics and identity and just take that. Okay, okay. Oh, Everyone says, I've got to believe this. I'm going to run and just take this and believe it. We can cave uh, to the right on their idea of what racial justice looks like. We can cave to how the culture says we should raise our kids or what marriage should mean and look like. The days are hard. They're not easy. In church, we need courage that only the gospel inspires to live in a culture that is not right or left, but is another way altogether. It's the gospel way the way Christ calls us to. And you see that in our verses. Not frightened by anything by your opponents, meaning not intimidated, uh, not freaking out, not anxious. Think about all the mental health things coming down. We get so anxious and so bound up about all these things coming at us that we can, it can be paralyzing to us. And, and here he says, don't be frightened, don't let it take you captive. Don't let it own your mind, all of these things that cascade down upon you. We can be, as God's people, calm and loving because we love Christ most of all. We love Christ most of all. And by loving Christ above all, we can love all kinds of different people. If they vote different than us, if they look different than us, if they're from a different area than us, Christ, the way of Christ is above all of these things and it unifies us in this wonderful way that creates a culture that is beautiful, that is beautiful. And the great thing about this passage as we read it, as we go through it and we'll unpack it verse by verse here in a moment is it shows us where Christian courage comes from and it's, and it's, and how it creates this gospel culture, and you get that sense, and it's from Christ himself. You read this, for the sake of Christ, 
suffer for his sake. It's, it's centered on Jesus. So Christ is the source of our courage because we, in and of ourselves, are weak people, right? We can't do all this. On, like, how am I? I'm not, I'm, I can't stand up against all of these other things. Well, we can with Christ's power. He is the source of our courage. We're actually weak people, and Christ makes us strong no matter what we face in the days that we have and the hard things we must face. So how do we live in this courage moment by moment? Paul gives us some amazing insights, and and we're gonna unpack these. Verse 27, and go line by line here. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So how do we live with gospel courage? How do we sink into this gospel culture that the Lord wants for us? as a church community, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It can also be translated this way. Only let your manner of life as citizens be worthy of the gospel of Christ. There is a, it's the same word that we uh, get our word almost in politics in the English. The Greek has this. So, um, chapter three picks up, Paul picks up on the same idea where he talks about our citizenship in heaven. So we're to live as citizens of heaven. And he says here at the end of chapter one, so let your manner of life as citizens be worthy of the gospel. So the ears that were hearing this, the church in Philippi, as they heard these opening, uh, this opening chapter, as Paul is concluding it, they are hearing this language and they're taking into thought their citizenship, their political citizenship, In Philippi, Paul wants them to live as citizens of heaven first. First and foremost, above their citizenship as a Roman colony. Philippi was a Roman colony. They were occupied by Rome, and so they got a lot of benefits from being a Roman colony, and the power, the resources, the trade, the economic impact that it fueled into Philippi at the time. Though Rome was very, very far away, they still bent a knee to Caesar because they were a conquered uh, colony. And Paul says, don't live as Roman citizens and a Christian. Live first as heavenly citizens, not as Roman citizens. And take your hope and your, all the adornments and beauties and your hope in heaven, not in all the adornments and advantageous things that it means to become and have a Roman citizenship for you. So right out of the open, the opening line, Paul is encouraging his brothers and sisters to take courage in the hope of the heavenly citizenship in, in the face of the elitist, pomp, Roman system that they lived and existed in. Live as worthy citizens of heaven, worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he challenges his brothers and sisters as he's in a Roman prison to live a counter-citizenship whose capital and seat of power is not earthly, but heavenly. Whose Lord is not Nero, who they would be forced to bend a knee to, but whose Lord is Christ. So the Philippian church is subject to the one true Lord whom every knee will bow, including Nero, including whatever Caesar would follow him. Isn't that beautiful? He's charging them with this idea. 
to live a life worthy of the true king that sits on a heavenly throne, the king of heaven and of earth. Ruthie, my daughter, who's sitting right here. Hey, Ruth. We're reading uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. She's five. She's about to be six. And uh, we just finished, as I'm, I, was, I was reading this passage, we just finished the section where uh, Beaver is with the children. And if you don't know the story, it's a wonderful story. You should read it. But Aslan is the Christ-like character. And Beaver is talking to the children about this one Aslan, he says, they say Aslan is on the move and perhaps has already landed. And the children, they don't know who he is, but at the mere mention of him, their heart swells and for a longing of this one Aslan that's mentioned to come because he's the rescuer. He's the true king. In Narnia, if you know the story, it's always winter and never Christmas. And it has been for hundreds of years. The mere mention of that name gives them hope. Paul, in a similar way, is saying, live now. Your king has come, and he's coming again. You are heavenly citizens. You are not bound to just the rule of law as a citizen of this earth, but you are, you are called to a higher calling, a higher calling, a heavenly calling. That's a gospel culture. When that roots and grounds us, it's this amazing thing. It's this amazing thing when we really believe that Jesus is the true king and his gospel is so amazing that it's worth living and dying for. As Paul's writing this letter, he's willing to die for it. It's that beautiful to him. In verse 27, he continues on. I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I love this. It's not an individualistic call. It's not a call of isolation. It's not just you against the world. It's not hole up in your corner and you, you can do this alone, lone ranger. It is a call to belong to Christ and to belong to one another striving together, locked arms together, side by side. There is hope in brothers and sisters in Christ under the banner of Christ as we move forward in this world. It's not an isolated call. It's not an isolated walk through this, this Christian life. It's a body of believers, a culture of belonging. That's the beautiful thing about the church is that we don't all have to look the same, dress the same, all have the same ideas about politics or about whatever else it is, but we come together under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he binds us together with his good news. And we get to walk side by side together, striving for the good news of the gospel to make inroads into dark places. Um. And it's a great honor to get to do that together. Verse 27 heads the entire paragraph and it calls us to make disciples of Jesus because he's ruling and reigning and is alive and our church culture is consistent with the culture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I really love this. I love this idea of, of us doing it together because, I mean, just like real frankly and honestly, something that scares me today and talks, was talking about don't be afraid of the opposition, something that I get afraid of, something that challenges me, um, is that there are some really strong objections to the gospel. There's some really strong objections against Christianity. There's some really strong objections coming against the church and what we're doing and what we're trying to do. There's, they're coming from all different sides. 
They're coming from even within the church. They're coming from outside of the church, and they can be scary. They can be scary for me as a church leader and as a pastor, and there's times where it's like, sometimes I don't open my mouth when I'm in a public place and give an account for Jesus because I'm scared I won't have the right answer to combat or to confront their objections. I struggle with that. I don't know if anyone else ever does, but I do. Candidly, I do. I'm afraid I won't be smart enough to give an answer for their objections. I'm afraid I won't have read enough Tim Keller to like exactly say the right thing at the exact right time and have this incredible breadth of reading knowledge to be able to uh, impart wisdom at the right moment. I won't have enough Piper-like uh, passion and drive and preaching energy to, to woe them and sway them. I get scared about those things. As a pastor up here, I'm like, I don't know, maybe I'm not whimsical enough, or I don't have the right words, or I don't have the right energy, or whatever. I, I ha- I've got fears, even with what I'm doing up here, week in and week out. And I've been doing it for 22 years, and I still freak out that one of you is gonna come up to me and give me some objection about something I said, and I'm not gonna have the right answer. It scares me. <laughs> But the great thing about Philippians 1.27 that struck me is that we don't have to have the latest intellectual apologetics down to a T, though those are wildly important. And I'm so grateful for the Tim Kellers and all the ones that are so brilliantly thinking about those things. We don't have to have the answer right away that our best argument for the gospel right here in our community is not a concept or an argument, but a community of people saturated with the gospel, living together and walking out of these doors arm in arm. Though we might not have all the answers, we know Jesus has radically changed us. He's given my, he's made my heart of stone, a heart of flesh, and he's given me new affections for him. And I don't know how to even explain it all, but he's done it. And I want more people to get in on this. I don't deserve it. I didn't do anything to get it, but by his good grace, he's poured out his love and mercy on us, and we get to have more people be a part of that. That's a beautiful thing about Philippians 1.27. We get to stand together. It's not just how good I can say it or how good you can say it, but together, we striving together. So ordinary people like you and I can invite their friends into a place like this and find belonging and find love and find hope in this one that has come and find forgiveness of sin that we are so easily entangled by and find grace. And when we trip and fall and stumble on our face, we've got people right next to us that say, let me help you up. Let's talk about it. That's the beauty of the church together. So what does this people or colony of heaven on earth look like? Paul says, so whether I come to you or I am absent. He says that because he doesn't know if he's gonna, be, he's gonna live to see another day. He doesn't know if he's ever gonna get back to this church. He doesn't know if his life is going to be taken for his faith. And the beautiful thing, this is a whole nother sermon, he doesn't make it about himself. So whether I can get to you or not, it's not about Paul. He says that I just might hear of you standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, standing side by side. We never give in. 
but we never lash out. It's not a, it's, it's not take up your sword and charge the hill. It's we are together. We're not gonna give in. We're not gonna back down. We're gonna keep walking ahead of whatever's in front of us as lights of the gospel and declaring the goodness of Jesus and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. We're allies together. Bonhoeffer (laughs) writes this in his wonderful book, Life Together on Christian Community. I found this to be very helpful. He says, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother or sister. Therefore, a Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs that person again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in his brother's heart. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, there's times when we have unbelief, we feel weak, and we need the encouragement and the voice of other brothers and sisters communicating to us God's word so that we can believe it in our time of need. Church, my heart is often weak. And I need brothers and sisters in Christ to speak the word of God to me and it encourages and strengthens my heart too. And here's what's at stake, verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Um, So the world didn't roll out a red carpet for Jesus, did they? Um, And so we're not to be shocked when it doesn't roll out a red carpet for us when we begin to proclaim the good news of Jesus to those who are far from him. Uh, The Bible tells us, in no uncertain terms, that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We don't pick the fights, but when they come our way, um, the Apostle Paul coaches us on what should happen next. He says, we're not frightened. We're not frightened. Um, In other words, maybe some of you need this today. Relax. Peace, shalom, deep breath. So when opposition comes, or even it looks like, gosh, it's so scary, what's gonna happen next? Is this opposition coming against me, even me personally? Paul reminds us, don't be afraid. Relax. What's the worst that could happen, he said? Our destruction? He's like, oh, that sounds kind of bad, Paul. He said, no, that's not the worst. And then he says, verse 28. This, meaning your courage in the face of opposition, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So how do we know that the kingdom will prevail and that we can stand side by side and with humble confidence in Christ keep walking forward in all that he's called us to and take courage in the face of opposition even when people are up against us and the thoughts and the prevailing winds of our culture are against us? How can we know that he will be there and we will prevail? I think Another side to look at this argument that he just said is is this question. How's the Roman Empire doing today? Right? 
He's like, don't freak out. It's going to be okay. The kingdom will prevail. It will go forward. I will make sure of it. My promises will remain true, and he will always be with us. The Roman Empire is something we study in history. They are no longer, they are not any longer on top. They crucified a Jewish nobody named Jesus, and today they are in history books that we study. And Christ's people, under his banner, redeemed by his blood, are all over this globe today, worshiping the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is risen and ruling and reigning today. Amen? He's our hope. No one will destroy this move. No earthly assault can come and take down what God promises he will do. And we can take hope in that and we can cling to that and we are a part of that as we strive together, shoulder to shoulder, moving forward in this life, though it be difficult. Paul says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. There's a story, a great church has history story about courage and the gospel. It's from the fourth century of the Roman empress. I'm not going to get all the names right because I can't pronounce them because like I said, I'm not as smart as Tim Keller. But you have uh, this Roman empress uh, named Eudoxia, and she felt threatened by the bold preaching of this uh, gospel preacher named John, this is really hard, Christosium which translates golden tongue. So this guy had this amazing ability to just proclaim the good news of the gospel and all these people were coming to faith during the reign of Eudoxia, this Roman empress in uh, 440 AD. And the empress threatens this gospel preacher with banishment if he would not stop preaching the gospel because it was an affront to Caesar. And here's what he says. This is so wonderful. He says, you cannot banish me. For this world is my father's house. But I will kill you, the empress said. No, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ in God. Well, I will take away your treasures, said the empress. No, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. Well, I will drive you away from your friends and you will have no one left, the empress said. No, you cannot, said John. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. Courage. Gospel courage. In that moment right there, when God gave this gospel proclaimer the grace and courage to speak clearly to even the constructs of power and oppression in his day was a clear sign of the empress's weakness and his weakness but power in God. You can't take anything from me. My hope is in God. I'm hid with Christ on high. I love that. And then verse 29 are the proofs of courage rooted in the gospel. So what are the proofs? So when we begin to live this out as a people of God, what are the proofs that this is actually happening? Verse 29, salvation and suffering. Not easy, but good. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now, that verb translated granted 
which has been granted to you is directly related to the New Testament word that we get grace. So you could paraphrase it like this. Church, it has been, you have been graced with the privilege of not only believing in Christ, but also suffering for him. That's a gospel culture. You have been graced with not only believing the good news of the gospel and having all of the benefits of salvation and your hope is heaven one day, but you've also been graced with walking and suffering, walking into suffering. He's given us two gifts, he says. Believing in the Lord Jesus, I didn't deserve that. And two, suffering for Jesus, In the same way, we don't even deserve that. We get to be partakers and participants in his suffering as well. That's a gospel culture. When the gospel really takes root into your heart and mind, you can walk into the place of suffering knowing he has me, he is with me, he will never leave me, he will never forsake me because I'm hid in Christ. And so we have these two gifts of faith and suffering It's twice in these verses. He says, not not for our own sake, but for Christ and for his sake. And that's where courage, gospel courage, bursts into flame. That's where our salvation moves from benefit to participant. We love the benefits of our salvation. They're beautiful. They're they're. They're all the things that we just long and our hearts swell for. We tend to run away from suffering because none of us wants that. But Paul's reminding us, hey, as you live this gospel culture and this way of the gospel that uh, is going to put Christ on top of all things, you are inevitably going to face opposition that's going to bear down against you. So take in all the benefits of your salvation because it will birth into you and fan a flame of courage to stand in the face of all the things that are coming against you. Because they will. They will. And I get this sense as he's talking about it, just calm assurance in both salvation and suffering. He has us walk in that calm assurance together. Remember, you're not alone, striving side by side, arms linked together in this for the glory of God, standing together side by side without fear as full recipients of his dual grace of salvation and suffering. This, church, is what Paul is painting the picture for us as worthy of the gospel. This is what Paul is describing to us as full kingdom citizenship. Let's pray together as a band comes back up. Lord, this is a high calling. This is oftentimes scary. And Lord, I pray right now for everyone here, Lord, that they would take courage in the good news of the gospel, that wherever you've called them to step out in faith where there may be opposition against them for the good news of the gospel, that you would give them courage, not to stand alone, but you would give them courage maybe to tell another believer in this place about where they are trying to stand for the gospel and that we could stand together with them. 
striving together with them, holding them up when opposition comes. So Lord, may you grant to each of us here this morning courage in the, in the exact places we need it the most. Lord, where our hearts are afraid, where we're afraid we won't have the right answer or we won't have the right thing to say or we won't be compelling enough or we won't be good enough or we won't be whatever it might be. Would you grant to us courage to not be afraid? Not for our own namesake, but for yours. So that as we leave this place into all the different pockets that we live our lives in with our families, with our work, with our schools, with our friends, with our neighborhoods, with our children. May we walk as recipients of this dual grace that you've given us, our great salvation and even the suffering that comes as a result of standing firm for you and your namesake. And Lord, I pray that the times when we come together like this would just be an encouragement to our souls knowing that we are not alone and that you've called us together to stand firm, shoulder to shoulder, striving so that your gospel will continue to make inroads into the hearts and lives of the men, women, and children surrounding us so that light would pierce the darkness and more would come to know of the saving good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.